listening to the Long Hollow Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry at Long Hollow Church, located in Hendersonville, Tennessee. If you are interested in learning more about us or looking to attend one of our gatherings, you can follow us on Instagram at LHYoungAdults or visit longhollow.com for more information. And now, a message from our Young Adults Pastor, Dylan Young. With my parents driving in the car, and as a kid, I'm listening, and there's this guy just like reading the news stories. And it feels really strange to me that like, how is this, like we got a newspaper at home, we can just do this ourselves. But he's got this like sports broadcaster slash news anchor way he presents the news, and you're just like compelled to listen. And the guy's name is Paul Harvey. And if you didn't listen to him, your parents did, I guarantee it. And the way he would start his show every day, he would just say, and stay tuned for news. He would go up on that news word for whatever reason, but it made you listen. And at the end of every show, you probably know this part, whether you knew you did or not, at the end of the show, he would say, and now you know the rest of the story. And I would imagine tonight, maybe many of you know the story of the Israelites when they escaped Egypt and they escaped the slavery that they were in in Egypt We call it the Exodus, and there's a whole book about it at the front of your Bible. Tonight, what I want you to hear is the rest of the story. I want you to hear how God's people, you included, find the promised land and actually find a permanent promised land. And that's where we're headed tonight. Uh, And as we begin, I just wanna ask you, what is the promised land that you have in your head? What is it that you would say, man, if I can just get here, like I'll, I'll be set, I'll have it made. Is it the stereotypical American dream? Like if I can find my spouse, we'll have 2.5 kids, we'll have a golden retriever, and like we'll be good. Is it a certain level you wanna get to in your career? Is that the place where you feel like you'll be set? And what I want you to hear tonight is that the, the promised land that you're thinking of that you want right now, maybe it's not the promised land that you actually need. Maybe there's a different promised land that God wants to lead you to that might be a whole lot better than the one you have in mind. So we're we're gonna talk about this idea of the Exodus tonight and how Jesus brings us into a whole new Exodus story. But to do that, we gotta know the original story. So you may be familiar with it, but God's people, the Israelites, they were in slavery in Egypt and God sends 10 plagues upon the Egyptian people to get Pharaoh to let his people go. He sends Moses to talk to Pharaoh, and 10 times he says no. And eventually, on that 10th plague, he agrees to let the Israelites go. Now, part of that 10th plague involved the Israelites partaking in the first Passover meal. And we'll get into more of the details on that later. But they took the Passover meal, and then they headed out. And what happened not long after was that Pharaoh actually changed his mind, like we probably could have expected him to do. And he starts chasing after the Israelites well, they get to this place where they're between the army of the Egyptians and the Red Sea, and God parts the sea for them. They walk through on dry land. They walk through the water and find safety on the other side in the wilderness. And what ultimately happens is they're brought into this place they called the promised land. It was literally this land God had promised to give them. Now, in that Exodus narrative, Moses was the guy used in a mighty way, right? He was the one leading the whole thing. He's, he's going to Pharaoh. He's the one leading the people out of Egypt, literally. And he's the guy. Like, he's the guy, if you want to call somebody other than Jesus, the hero of the Bible, it's Moses. 
This is how the book of Deuteronomy remembers him in, in chapter 34. It says, no prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do. So y'all, Moses in Israel's history, he's the goat and there's no debating it. He was the best they had ever had. And what it ends up doing to the Israelite people is, man, they, they need another Moses. When are we getting the next guy that's going to come along, that's going to, that's going to lead us out of oppression, that's going to lead us out of bondage that we feel again? They're, they're constantly looking for the next guy to do it because Moses didn't get him into the promised land. He actually didn't get to go himself. He made a decision along the way that we'll see later that, that kept him from actually going into the promised land. Now, this is going to feel weird to you, some of you, but if you're there's a really easy way to remember Moses's role in the Bible if you're a Tennessee football fan. Who would you say is the greatest quarterback in Tennessee football history? It's Peyton Manning, right? But what did Peyton Manning not do? He got tripped up, he never beat Florida, and he never won a national championship. Like everybody's looking for the next Peyton Manning, but really, if we're going by this story, T. Martin is kind of Jesus in a sense. He's the one that actually brought them into the promised land of a championship. Moses couldn't do it. He got tripped up by sin along the way. So the Jewish people, they're constantly on the lookout for this guy that's going to be the new and better Moses to lead them on the new and better Exodus narrative. Enter Jesus. And with this Exodus story as our backdrop, what I want to do tonight is look at Jesus's life in three instances where I think he really intentionally recreates some scenes from that Exodus story. Three, three moments where I think Jesus is trying to get their attention to say, hey, I'm the guy that's gonna lead you to the permanent promised land. I can do it. I'm not gonna get tripped up like even Moses did. So the three, the three elements that we see Jesus recreate are, are these three parts that we saw in the Exodus story. The Passover meal, and you can, you can start to see these all over scripture if you, if you really start to think about it, but the Passover meal, going through the water, like the Red Sea, and then time in the wilderness. So you got the Passover, you got water, and you got the wilderness. And we're gonna see Jesus give new meaning and new life to all of those stories in his life. And the first one that we see is when he actually undergoes his own baptism, and that's in Luke chapter three. We see that Jesus passes through the water himself. Jesus passes through the water. Luke chapter three, verse 21 speaks of Jesus' baptism and it says this, when all of the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized and he was praying heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. I wonder if you guys have ever seen this moment of Jesus being baptized before and thought like, why did Jesus have to be baptized? Like for us, it's this moment of, man, we've repented of our sin and we've trusted Jesus for salvation. And now we're gonna show the world through this mirroring of his death, burial and resurrection that we're now following Jesus. Well, Jesus didn't have any sin to repent of. He didn't have that instance in his life. So why in the world did he have to be baptized too? Now, I imagine there are many, many reasons that, that we don't know, but I think there are at least three that we, that we can pull from what we see in scripture. The first reason I think Jesus did this was to identify with man. He just wanted to identify with us, identify with the people. 
Um, so he, he entered into this religious experience just like every other devout Jewish person. He entered into the religious human experience and he didn't just like pull the Jesus card on this one and be like, ah, I don't have to do that. I'm Jesus. Like y'all getting baptized into me, right? He, he wasn't gonna just pull the Jesus card and get out of it. He just wanted to identify with man, with mankind. The second thing, the second reason I think he did that was to identify the Savior. So we saw at the beginning of that text, it says when all the other people are getting baptized, he's identified with man. Well, then, then what happens next? Jesus is baptized and there's a voice from heaven that starts identifying God's son, right? Remember what it said, a voice from heaven said, you are my beloved son with you, I'm well pleased. So God's voice comes out over this heavenly megaphone, if you will, in front of a crowd of people, and it identifies Jesus, said, this is my son. And the way he actually does that, that would probably be good enough for us, but the way he does this is really interesting for the Jewish people. See, there, were, there was such a thing as the Messianic scriptures. So there are scriptures that describe what the Messiah, what the Savior is going to be like when he comes. And what God's voice has just done here is combine two of those. So y'all, they, they know these passages. They're, they're waiting for this savior to come along. And Jesus just combined two of them into one sentence. And you can write these down and look at them later. But Psalm 2-7, Psalm 2-7 says this, you are my son, today I've become your father. That's Psalm 2-7. And then Isaiah 42-1 says this, this is my chosen one, I delight in him. That's Isaiah 42, 1. So God's taken both of those, what they referred to as messianic scriptures and combined them and said, this is him. This is my son. This is the one you've been waiting for. And when the people heard that voice say those scriptures, man, they would have gotten goosebumps. Because they're thinking, could this, could this truly be him? Could this be the one we've waited years and decades and centuries for? Could this be the guy? Thirdly, I believe he went through the baptism process to identify with Israel as a whole. And this is where we get back into our Exodus discussion that we've been talking about. So if, you, if you'll take yourself, try to put yourself into the story of the Israelites as they're escaping Egypt, they've come to the Red Sea and God parts it. Think about what that would have looked like for you as you walked through there. So the, the Red Sea on average, it's got a whole lot deeper parts than this. At the deepest, it's almost two miles deep. On average, it's about a quarter of a mile deep. So this is significant water we've got going up beside us. It's gonna feel like you are walking under the water in a sense, right? So the people have gone under the water and Jesus is doing the same thing here. Now that may sound like a stretch to you, but follow me with what he does next. Jesus has gone under the water, he, he's baptized. He gives them this first little glimpse of a picture of a whole new Exodus story. And what happens next is exactly what happened to the Israelites. So they went through the water and found themselves in the wilderness. Where does Jesus go next? <laughs> He's gone through the, the water and then the spirit takes him into the wilderness to be tested. The second place that we see Jesus is that he defeats the wilderness. And where the Israelites fell short in a lot of ways, Jesus defeats the wilderness. We see it in Luke chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. So the Israelites were in the wilderness 40 years. Jesus is out there for 40 days. Not a coincidence on this stuff. He's out there for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and when they were over, he was hungry. 
I like that verse. I bet he was hungry after 40 days, right? I always wonder why Luke felt the need to throw that detail in there. But nonetheless, Jesus, he's checking box two of this Exodus theme, right? Uh, The Israelites, they're out there 40 years. Jesus is out there 40 days. Uh, And let's look closely at the actual temptations that Jesus experienced while he was there. The temptations he he had, I think they really mirror the temptations that the Israelites had while they were in the desert in, in a few different ways. He goes through three temptations, and the first one is really a temptation of contentment. Like, is he going to be content in the Father? So if you look, chapter 4, verse 3, it's where we see the devil start to tempt Jesus. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to turn to bread. But Jesus answered him, it is written, man must not live on bread alone. So he's got this temptation of contentment. Because remember, Jesus, he's been, tells us he's been fasting for 40 days. Maybe that's why the detail's in there. He was hungry, and the devil knew that. As he gives him this first temptation, man, turn these, turn these rocks into bread, and you'll be, you'll be fine. Like, he could do it. The devil knew he could do it if he wanted to. But what happens if Jesus does that? <laughs> when you're fasting, what you're doing is you're saying, God, all I need is you. Like, I don't even need food right now to bring me contentment, to bring me satisfaction. All I need is you. So if God breaks this fast in a moment of temptation, what he's saying is, man, God's insufficient. The the Father's not enough. I actually need more than the Father to have my contentment, to find my satisfaction. Jesus is not going to do that. Now, maybe you've heard this before about how Jesus responds to, to the devil in these three temptations. He quotes scripture each time. Here's a detail I don't want you to miss. Not only does he quote scripture every time, He quotes Moses every time. He keeps trying to draw the people's attention, keeps trying to draw our attention back to Moses, back to this Exodus story that he's rewriting. He quotes Moses here, this is Deuteronomy 8. If you wanna go back and look at it later, here's what Moses says to the people when they're in the wilderness and they're hungry. He says, remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat which you and your fathers had not known so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting Moses when Moses is facing the exact same situation. He's got a hangry group of people that he's trying to satisfy. And they're saying, God, how are you gonna provide for us? Like, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna show up here for us? They They don't just trust him. And we see Jesus succeed in this situation when he does just trust the Father to be his satisfaction. He's calling our attention over and over again back to this Exodus story. He's trying to get our attention to say, hey, something new, something better is happening here. Pay attention. And and this is just just a fun fact. Y'all, I think Jesus is the most fascinating person who's ever lived, and I hope you do too. Like, you will never get done studying Jesus, right? And I hope if I'm accused of anything in my preaching that it's, I talk about Jesus too much. Um, but this, this is just fun fact, but man, look at, God, stuff's not coincidence, y'all. Bread of life is how Jesus is referred to a lot of times in scripture, right? We see Jesus as the bread. He, he shows himself as the bread in the Passover meal that we'll see later. What's the name of the city that he's from? He's from Bethlehem. It's two words put together, bait and lechem, bread, house, <laughs> It's the house of bread is where Jesus is from. Jesus is the bread of life. 
We don't need the bread to satisfy us. We need Jesus to satisfy us. You know, that's, that's just your fun fact for the night, but please don't ever get tired of studying the, the word. If, you, if you'll be diligent to do it, I promise it will satisfy. I mean, you'll never grow tired of studying it. Um, the second temptation, his first temptation was one of contentment. His second is a temptation of worship. Who will he worship in this situation? Look back at verse five. So he, the devil, took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it's been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now this scene would have immediately, again, taken the people back to Moses. Moses himself, it's Deuteronomy 34. He goes up on the mountain and he's meeting with God. And God's showing him, hey, here's, here's the land that I'm gonna give the people. It's this totally mirrored situation, except for Jesus is there with the devil, giving him a false promise. And Jesus has this moment where he's gotta decide, man, do I want this kingdom now? Do I want it right now? And I'll bow down and worship the enemy, or am I willing to wait for whatever the Father has in store? And that's the same situation the Israelites found themselves in a lot while they were in the wilderness. I mean, unfortunately, they're human, right? Like over and over again, they end up choosing a God that they can create in the moment. They end up choosing something else to worship rather than waiting on God. And man, there's a whole principle in that, but that's not what Jesus does. Jesus knows better, right? And he responds, and know how Jesus responds. He's quoting scripture, he's quoting Moses. Man, it's short and sweet. Like he knows the power of God's word, I think, and he doesn't need this long explanation for why he's not gonna give in to the devil's temptation. He just quotes Moses again, and you'll see a footnote in your Bible. He quotes this time from Deuteronomy 6.13. He's quoting Moses saying, again, drawing our attention back to the story. Hey, y'all, remember this story? I'm writing a new one. The third temptation, the temptation to test God. He's battled through contentment. He's worked through worship. This time the devil attempts him to test God. And he actually tries to use a little bit of reverse psychology here. He quotes scripture himself to try to pull Jesus into sin, which feels like a strange tactic. But verse nine says this. So the devil took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. And you guessed it. Jesus' response again, it's a quote from Moses in Deuteronomy 6, 16. The Israelites, Man, they tested the Lord over and over again with their demands for miracles, with their demands to provide. They didn't have just this patient, willing to wait on the Lord faith that Jesus had. They, they had more the attitude of, hey, if God loves me, you'll do this if you really do love us. They put expectations on him. And rather than letting God approach them, they approached him with their own expectations. Now, before we leave the wilderness, and then Jesus was not about to put his own expectations on the Father, right? And we shouldn't do the same. And before we leave the wilderness, I wanna note 
one thing here about Moses's life. Moses died in the wilderness. He didn't make it out of the wilderness. He didn't get to go into the promised land. In a moment of frustration in the wilderness, he gave in to sin in that moment. And because of that, the Lord took away that privilege to go into the promised land. This is where Jesus really separates himself from Moses, right? Because man, he's just walked through the wilderness. He's just walked through temptation. I mean, Jesus, this is a whole other conversation, but Jesus feels temptation infinitely more than we do because he knows he can't give in. He knows he has to fight. We, we like play around with it. Like, well, what should I do here? And Jesus says, no, I, I can't. I can't. I'm on a mission and I can't. So man, he feels that temptation infinitely more than I think we do. Um, like I said, that's a sermon for another day. But in this moment, how does Jesus go about defeating sin where Moses tripped up? I mean, all he does is, is quote scripture. And we could have a whole night just talking about this, but y'all don't wait until you're 30. Don't wait until you're 40. Don't wait till you got kids. Don't wait till you're in the right job. Don't wait to start the practice of memorizing scripture. Like don't, don't look back 10 years from now and be like, man, I wish I'd started storing away God's word 10 years ago. Like start now, start anywhere. There's not like a wrong verse for you to memorize. You can memorize anything. Start there, start to store up God's word in your head so that at a moment's notice, like Jesus, you can navigate God's word in your heart and your mind to get yourself out of bad situations. Start to store up God's word now so that you're ready whenever the devil tries to bring you into the wilderness, okay? We've seen Jesus pass through the water. He defeated sin in the wilderness. And not only did he defeat sin there, he actually defeats sin once and for all when he redefines, when he relives, when he recreates the Passover for us. Jesus ultimately fulfills the Passover. So it's been this symbolic thing all along and all of a sudden Jesus is gonna come along and fulfill the Passover. So to understand what Jesus is doing here, again, we gotta go back and understand what this original Passover meal was. God had the Israelites select a perfect spotless lamb to sacrifice. That was part of the Passover meal. Well, the, I told you it was part of the 10th plague that he sent on the Egyptians. So God sent a plague that, was, um, that killed the firstborn son in every household. But when they killed this spotless lamb and they spread blood over the doors, God would pass over that house when the plague came along to that household. And he would let everyone live in that household. That's why it's called Passover. God literally passed over that household. So it was the blood of the lamb that saved the people. It was the blood of the lamb that saved the people at that first Passover meal. Now, the people continue to celebrate this throughout their history and still today, right? They, they, you, we see Jesus at the Last Supper, right? They're taking this Passover meal and Jesus recreates, uh, he redefines the pieces of it, if you will. So he, he takes the wine that was there and he starts to say, man, this is representative of my blood that's gonna be spilled takes the bread and he says, this is representative of my body that's going to be broken. And he's setting himself up as, hey, I'm about to be the new sacrificial lamb and this new Passover idea that we have. And he's gonna be the permanent one. But then he died. Then he died and the people are left sad and confused and disappointed. 
Yeah, put yourself there. Like we, we, on this side of history, sometimes we look back at the people like, man, why didn't they just have faith for that three days? Like they knew, he told them he was gonna come back. And put yourself there. You've watched anybody who's ever died, die and not come back. And you just watched Jesus die. You're thinking, man, we thought he was the one. We even have proof that this is what they were thinking. In Luke 24, the disciples are walking along and they say, we were hoping he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. We were hoping he was the one, but clearly he wasn't because we're still under oppression to Rome and we, we, we need a whole new exodus and we thought he was about to bring in, but we're still here, we're still waiting on the guy. He must've just been another good prophet like Moses was. But then what do we know happened? He rose, he rose from the dead and all of a sudden this whole idea of the Exodus and the Passover and the water and the wilderness, all of it has new life. It has new meaning because man, he's been through the water. Jesus has been through the wilderness. He's recreated this whole Passover situation and become the permanent Passover lamb who actually takes us on an Exodus of our own. He brings us out of the slavery to sin and gives us a permanent promised land. And what, what the people discover is, man, the promised land, it's actually not a, it's not a place. <laughs> the promised land is a person. Jesus is trying to get their attention and say, hey, the promised land you've been waiting on, the, the, the salvation that you've been looking for just to get out of Rome's eye, like it's not, that's not what the kingdom is. That's not what the promised land is. The promised land is me. <laughs> you get me in the end. That's what Jesus has been trying to get their attention to say. He's trying to say, hey, I'm what you've been looking for. Because I want you to think about it. Whatever that promised land is that you thought of at the beginning of the message tonight, wherever that place is that you just can't wait to get to, man, when you get that promotion, when you get that position at your job, your eyes are just gonna go to the next rung on the ladder. But when you sign that record deal, man, you're gonna work your tail off to get the second record deal, right? When you get the spouse, where's your mind gonna go? It's gonna go to the kids. When you get the kids, you're gonna to start to think about, golly, if we could just get the little bit bigger house. And if you get to 10,000 followers, you're gonna be longer for 20,000. If you get to a million followers, you're gonna be working your tail off to get to two million, right? Like it never actually ends. The, the promised land that you think you have in your mind, this thing that you're chasing after y'all, it's a mirage. And as soon as you get to it, it moves. You never actually can put your hands on it. But y'all, now you know the rest of the story. Now you know the promised land you've always wanted is not actually the promised land that you need. Now you know the promised land you've been looking for is actually a person. It's actually a salvation found through the blood of Jesus so that God passes over your sin and welcomes you into this permanent promised land one day where we get to spend eternity with Jesus. And now, I mean, you can adjust your focus. You can stop striving after whatever that old promised land was. I mean, you can celebrate a new exodus in a new promised land, striving after a firm foundation, something that's not gonna move when you get to it. A cornerstone, an anchor, the anchor that is Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for the fact that you don't move. You tell us that you're unchanging. 
tell us that nothing can conquer you. Lord, there is nothing better that we could place our faith in. There is no place we could go that would bring more satisfaction than you. Lord, I pray that you would bring to mind tonight the things that we are chasing after, that, Lord, we think are going to satisfy, but oh, that ultimately are not. And would we, would we put our eyes on you and trust that you are all we need? God, we thank you that you are all we need. We thank you that you, that you brought us out of slavery to sin, that you provide the way out. And it's nothing that we have to do. There's nothing that we have to earn. But God, you just do it because you love us. You gave us the way out. And I pray, Lord, that we would take hold of that tonight and that we would live our lives in light of the fact that you have set us free. We pray all these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.